confess again that I struggled with this text this week. I, I struggled with the harshness of Jesus' accusations about the institutional, you know, not church, but the institutional temple where Jews worshiped and expected to, to find holiness. Uh, I, I struggle with untangling all the, all the nuances because Jesus you know, pronounces these seven woes, but are they all the same or are they all a little different? And I had to take a break at one point and I, I got my iPad, but this is my iPhone, and I opened up, oh dear, <laughs> open up for me, a collection of poems and prayers that I have sort of assembled over years and I keep them in my notes. And this is a poem by Wendell Berry. It's a bit of a contrast, but I think it helps us. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the green heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and I'm free. I think Wendell Berry and almost all his poems captures a little bit of the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about all through the Gospel of Matthew and, and even becomes the background for these, these verses of chapter 23. As I, as I read this, you know, one morning, all of a sudden I had this memory of a video I saw on Facebook of a deer, a wild deer, they got tangled up in somebody's backyard soccer net. The deer was, was thrashing, he was on his side because his legs were all tangled up. You know, they have long skinny legs, tangled up in the net. And the net was in his antlers, so his head was all contorted. And the poor deer was just making it worse by struggling. But it was a matter of survival to get free. And then in the video, these two guys approach and they're gonna try to free the deer. They grab his antlers, they have something to cut the net with, and it takes two of them to try to hold that deer still while they cut the net off. And eventually, at one point the deer kind of relaxes and lets them do the work. And eventually the, the deer gets free and he runs away off into the woods. And I realized that the, the Pharisees were the ones who were all tangled up in a net of their own legalism, all their little laws, little picayune laws, and all their misplaced priorities. And they were, they were, they were lost. They, they could not free themselves any more than that deer could set itself free. And what was worse is they were, they were dragging others along with them. So that's, 
that's the background to looking at these verses of woe in Scripture, these verses of judgment. I did read this, didn't I? Okay, thank you. Philip Yancey wrote a really good book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he talks about how seriously Jesus took the legalism of the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders of the temple in, in Jesus' day. Yancey calls it toxic legalism. We worry about chemical, toxic chemicals. We worry about toxic water. Jesus was current, concerned about the toxic atmosphere that pervaded first century Judaism. And as we read, I think we'll, we'll see that toxic, gener toxic legalism still exists in the 21st century. And as we look at these woes, I think we can kind of understand how we are the ones who tend to judge each other harshly in ways that are harmful to each other. And our legalism, our judgment, can be toxic to the society and to faith. The first layer of toxic legalism for the Pharisees was their emphasis on externals. Everything was done for show. Jesus said they make extra wide prayer bands for their arms and long tassels for their clothes. They love to sit in places of honor at banquets and in the synagogues. And that kind of legalism makes it easier to feel superior and easy to judge other people as inferior when God doesn't see that way, doesn't see us that way at all. We have those, those, those emphasis too on, on appearance. We call it social convention. You know, we do things so that we can fit in. And yes, they're not rules that are that are like the Ten Commandments, but there are rules that we need to follow or else we get judged. Um, at one time, I served a small, small town church where everybody knew each other. One Sunday, a stranger came into worship right as, as it began and took a seat in the back. He was dressed in blue jeans and a black T-shirt and a black leather vest and boots. And I, I knew he was a biker had to be, and my anxiety bumped up just a little bit. And I noticed that other people, you know, turned their heads and some people were studying their bulletins. Um, and the service went fine, and afterwards, as we shook hands, his mother introduced me to him. She was the regular member. And I had judged him wrongly, very wrongly. And I have to wonder if he noticed how he felt about that. The second layer of legalism were the man-made rules that the Jewish leaders insisted on in addition to 613 original laws of Moses. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, woe to you because you, you tie together heavy burdens that are impossible to carry. For example, there was a rule that a man could ride a donkey on the Sabbath, but he could not use a switch because that would make 
that would be an undue burden on the donkey. You could swallow vinegar on the Sabbath, but you couldn't gargle with it. And my favorite is this. A woman could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath lest she be tempted to, to pluck a gray hair. They seem silly, don't they? They're just, they're just not important. But these were rules that, that the Pharisees followed and expected everybody else to, too. You know, we still have some rules that are just ours, hopefully not so silly. We expect certain behaviors in church. Don't talk too loudly or too much. Don't swear. Don't drink. Don't attend inappropriate movies. Some, de some denominations won't allow you to wear jewelry or makeup. Um, and all of this arise, all these little rules arise from a, an attempt to please God, to be, to be holy and pure. But do they really please God? Or do they just frustrate those who can't fit in? And I want to remind us that, that Jesus didn't condemn the rules themselves. He told people, do what the Pharisees and the scribes tell you to do. Tell you to do, just don't do what they do. In fact, Jesus observed all those, all those laws as strictly as did the Pharisees. But he did it for God. He didn't do it for show. And he didn't judge people by the way they managed to fit in or not, he judged folks by their hearts. There's a third layer of this toxic legalism. Jesus says, woe to you, you give God a tithe of mint, dill, and cumin, but you forget about more important matters of law, justice, peace, and faith. I think we have to ask ourselves, are there made weighty matters of law, justice, peace, and faith that we as a church are missing? Now, it seems to me that, that today and in most Christian churches, we do care about matters of justice. At least we care about feeding the hungry and, and helping those who have disadvantages. We care about the homeless. There are some important social issues that we care about. And we sponsor ministries, food pantries, and we tutor in, in local schools. We do home improvement projects in the community or, or things like Habitat. We, we send short-term mission trips to Appalachia or maybe to a hurricane uh, event. We have these ministries here at Macedonia, and we, we are likely feel good about them. But is, and I guess this is always the question, is that enough? That is a Pharisee question. I imagine that the, the people listening to Jesus, maybe even us as we read it, are just shocked at how Jesus continues to be harsh, harshly judging the Pharisees. Because I imagine the Pharisees thought they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They had always done it that way. 
They thought of justice in their own terms, based on their own stereotypes and their own prejudices. They didn't see the ways their stereotypes and prejudices hurt other people. And in that sense, they were blind, blind guides. They were like fish that cannot see the water they swim in. Do you understand that metaphor? And in some ways, I think we're just not that different because I think churches really do struggle with some of the harder issues of justice. We don't feel comfortable addressing our own prejudices when we realize we have them. We think that our own way of doing things, our own rules, our own expectations are right and necessary, and if anything, others are just wrong. But think about how many of us have experienced some kind of prejudice, um, racism, sexism, ageism, discrimination based on your social group or your economic status. These are harder these are harder matters of justice. But I imagine that we have, maybe many of us, experienced a job that we did not get or a job we lost because we were too old or maybe too young or we were not the right gender or the color of our skin wasn't correct or we didn't attend the college that we should have attended. Maybe we've been excluded from some social group because what we didn't fit in. Even though individually all those people were friends of ours. Maybe we've had people kind of peg us because we've told them what part of town we live in. Or we have been afraid to go somewhere because we think we'll be judged for whatever reason. Those are, those are prejudices and stereotypes that our culture has functioned with for a long time. But is it justice? Is it what God wants for us? Now, I think you understand that this is not just a faith issue, but it's a, it's a cultural issue. It's both. And I have to believe that Martin Luther King summed up Jesus' vision of the justice that God expects when he, he said in his speech, I have a dream that one day my four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, and I'll add by any other little distinction, but by the content of their character. <coughs> Finally, we get to the the hardest part, I think, of Jesus' judgments on the Pharisees. How terrible it will be, you legal experts and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut people out of the kingdom of heaven. You don't enter yourself, and you don't allow others to enter either. Hypocrite is a Greek word for actor, a person in the Greek theater who wore a mask and, and put on a played a role. A hypocrite, I think, for Jesus was somebody who believed that everything was all right, when inside 
everything was not all right. And it's inside that God cares about. Philip Yancey suggests that there's two alternatives to hypocrisy. One is to be perfect, you know, to be just as perfect as you look and you appear to others and as you believe you are to be. And the other option is to be honest about our own shortcomings and our own failures. When we, what we know about New Testament Judaism is that the Pharisees kept working on perfection. I, I have to think that they really thought they were good enough that they could, they could save themselves. And un, unfortunately, I think that you know, there's still some of us Christians who get trapped in that same false confidence that we can be good enough to. Now, I'm going to speak as a person who's a recovering perfectionist. And maybe some of you are too. I think we grow up in church and maybe not in church. And we are good boys and good girls. And when we grow up, we think we are good women and good men. We've avoided the worst of the sins. And we are comfortable with our own spiritual status. That, to be honest, that's how I grew up. It wasn't bad. It was a wonderful childhood and teenagehood. But I got stuck being good enough, trying to be perfect. I do remember hearing the parable of the prodigal son. I hope you're familiar with that. I heard it over and over growing up, and I heard it as an, a young adult. And I always identified with the older brother. And I was just as confused as that older brother was when, when God forgave the loser son who had gone away, squandered his money, and came back begging to be treated like a servant. The father welcomes that loser son home, and I did not get it. I was with the older brother and I stomped off in my head. Because I saw myself as a good person, I just missed grace. I missed forgiveness. I didn't need it, you know? I was good. I didn't understand that God's kingdom is more than just a set of rules and expectations about how we act. And I couldn't, and I missed that God's kingdom was as much about joy and love and laughter and beauty as it was about all those rules. Now, on the flip side of perfectionism, there's another kind of trap. And it's, it's for, it catches those people who never felt like they were good enough. You know, they were not the good kids at school and their parents didn't praise them. All, they felt left out all their lives. And this trying to be perfect left them feeling like failures, and yet they keep trying. And I think it's a C.S. Lewis who called them sour Christians because they so, become so focused 
on keeping impossible rules and making sure everybody else does, that they miss God's grace and blessing. Sour Christians are the ones that find fault in just about everything. And perfectionism, legalism, it, it does that to us because it focuses on our sins and our human errors and our failures, and it doesn't offer a cure. It doesn't offer grace. There is no grace. There's just try harder. The cure is to accept the grace, to repent of all the ways we try to to look good and to, and to expect, you know, expect to live up to all the rules and to admit that we are all sinners in God's eyes and we all need God's forgiveness and grace and we all need someone to come cut us out of the net of legalism that we get tangled into, tangled in and trapped in. The cure is to trust the grace and love of Jesus and to uh, seek his help. Because Jesus will set us free and show us how to live in God's kingdom with all the beauty and joy and love that comes with it. At the end of the chapter, Jesus closes with these tender words, and I want to read them again for us. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have, I have wanted to gather your people together just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you did not want that. Would you pray with me?